Hi, this is Kendall Egan, and I'm a board-certified dermatologist. You are listening to my podcast called Skin Stuff, where I talk about anything and everything related to the skin. This is a listener-driven podcast, meaning you tell me what to talk about. If you have great ideas, suggestions, or questions, please reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Kendall Egan MD and let me know what you're thinking. I'll try to include all of those ideas, suggestions, and questions into future episodes. I did take a little bit of a break because of the pandemic, but I'm back and I'm ready to talk about all things skin. So the topic of this episode of Skin Stuff is going to be skin biopsies. I think this is relevant if you've ever been to the dermatologist or you're planning to go. This may or may not happen depending on your skin concerns, but always a good idea to know about it. And I think this podcast will give you kind of a heads up and get you prepared for your dermatology visit. I know often when I'm doing a skin exam and I've identified lesions or spots or bumps that need to be biopsied, particularly if it's a new patient or a person who's never had a biopsy before, often the question back to me is, are we going to be doing that right now? And I get it because as a patient, I know when you go to a doctor's appointment and it's for an exam, you don't necessarily think there's going to be a procedure and you feel kind of a little unprepared. There's some unknown. You may feel anxious about what's going on, especially because needles are involved. You don't know if it's going to hurt or or whatnot. And when you do go to the dermatologist, they have a conversation or we have, I have a conversation with you about risk benefits, you know, exactly what we're going to be doing, what to expect, and we get a consent. But sometimes that might feel overwhelming. And even though that information is discussed with you, sometimes it goes really quickly. So I think this podcast will give you an opportunity to kind of slow down that procedure, slow down what actually happens with a skin biopsy. And that way, next time you go see a dermatologist, you're going to feel better prepared. You're going to be able to ask questions that you want to ask, and you won't feel so overwhelmed. This may be a great podcast to listen before your first dermatology visit. That way you'll be a pro when you go in and you'll know exactly what to expect when someone says, hey, you know, we need to biopsy this skin bump. So I hope you enjoy today's uh, podcast and we'll get started. So the outline for today's podcast, skin biopsies, we'll talk about the different types of skin biopsies. I'll walk you through a skin biopsy. We'll talk about risks and benefits talk about the medication we use to numb up the skin and what tools we use and how that feels. Does it hurt? Does it feel like pressure? What does a skin biopsy feel like? We'll talk about the aftermath, what bandages or what's applied to the biopsy site after it's been completed. And then what happens to your skin once it's in the bottle? And we'll finish up with talking about who the dermatopathologist is. Is this a doctor? And how they work closely with your dermatologist. The podcast Skin Stuff is for educational and informational purposes only. It should not substitute for seeing a qualified healthcare professional in person. If you have any skin concerns, I always recommend seeing a board-certified dermatologist. So let's talk about what happens when you do need a skin biopsy in a dermatologist's office. What scenarios could that happen with? Well, you can't go into every scenario, but for the most part, either someone comes in and says, look at this funny bump, it's growing. The dermatologist says, hey, that's concerning. We should do a biopsy and look at it closer. Or there's a rash that the dermatologist wants to rule in or rule out a certain diagnosis or examine a little bit more closely. Or you're doing a skin exam and the dermatologist identifies some spots 
or bumps, we call them lesions that may need a little bit of a closer look with a skin biopsy. So once a spot or a lesion is identified by the dermatologist, usually um, what happens next is we mark it. So I mark it with a surgical marker or someone may use a different type of marker, but some sort of identification that we can use in a photograph. And photographs usually follow that. So you'll notice that photographs are often taken And this photograph is nice to have because if you heal so well that we can't find that spot or your skin is noisy, and by noisy I mean has a lot of spots and and it's hard to find sometimes where the biopsy is, this photograph will help me later on find that spot. In the photograph, I tend to make sure there is some sort of landmark, so maybe the ear or the elbow or the knee, and that allows me also to be able to find the spot. So it's not, sometimes we, we also do a close-up picture, but the distant picture is really useful for finding that spot later on. Following that is usually a conversation about risks, benefits, and what procedure we're doing. And we'll get into different types of skin biopsies in a minute, but your dermatologist usually has a conversation with you about what to expect and risks and benefits of doing it. Now, the risks and benefits are going to vary per the, per dermatologist and whatever conversation they have with you, but for the most part, biopsies for biopsies, the risks are bleeding, very minimal unless you're on blood thinners, and even then, most dermatologists or probably all dermatologists control bleeding. Uh, infection that can happen, scars or funny pigment, so dispigmentation, or recurrence. So say we take off a spot, maybe it's a spot that you really want off, it may come back and so it may recur. Those are the major risks of doing a biopsy. Often you're required to sign a consent form that says, you know, hey, I know these risks and I accept these risks. Some people say, well, this dermatologist did such a great job, I can't even see the scar. Well, a lot of that is your healing process and also the location. Some locations on the body or the face, they tend to heal better than other areas and maybe how you took care of it, but you always have a scar. Histologically, like if you were to look under the microscope at any biopsy, you will see scar. It's impossible not to leave a scar if you're going into the dermis, which is the second layer. If you're in the epidermis, you may not create a scar, but anytime you enter the dermal layer, which is the second layer, you will create some sort of scar. It may not be visible, but it's still there. So the consent form is important so that everyone's on the same page. We know what to expect. We know the risks. We know the benefits, which is probably most time the benefit is to rule out skin cancer or to examine a rash a little bit closer or maybe to take off a spot that's annoying you or itching or, or scratching on clothing or rubbing on clothing. So the consent form is important so that that conversation takes place, that we go over the risks and benefits. So that's why you're signing it for the most part. And once that's signed, then we you know, we review allergies and make sure you're not allergic to the anesthetic. And so most dermatologists inject an anesthetic called lidocaine with epinephrine. And this is usually injected in with a very small needle, but it does burn a little bit and hurt. And I tell my patients that it takes mm, about 10 to 15 seconds per spot, depending on how big the spot is. And after that, it shouldn't hurt. I try to inject slowly. Slower injections tend to hurt less, but it varies a lot by patient. Some patients think it hurts a lot, and some people don't think it hurts at all. In fact, some people think that the liquid nitrogen, the freezing stuff, hurts more than the biopsies. It just depends somewhat on the person, too. Now, we inject lidocaine with epinephrine, and we we include the epinephrine for, um, for an important purpose in terms of 
it vasoconstricts. So it makes all the blood vessels constrict and it keeps the lidocaine where it needs to be. So we can actually use more lidocaine when we add epinephrine because the lidocaine won't disperse throughout the skin and the body as easily. It'll stay put. And also with this vasoconstriction or constriction of the blood vessels, epinephrine helps us with bleeding. So it makes things easier. When we inject this medicine, it actually takes minutes and minutes for it to work. So most of the anesthetic property, especially if you're doing a biopsy immediately after injecting lidocaine with epinephrine, is based on the tumescence. So that's because what happens is you put in this volume of liquid, and this volume of liquid kind of, well, it does, it constricts or cuts off the little cutaneous nerves that are feeding that piece of skin that's going to be shimmied off with the biopsy or punched out with the biopsy. And it creates kind of a tourniquet effect around the spot. And this comes into play sometimes when patients are allergic to lidocaine with epinephrine, and I use normal saline for those patients, and there's no anesthetic property to it other than I'm putting a lot of volume in that spot, and that volume is cutting off those little cutaneous nerves so that that spot that's being biopsied isn't felt. Now, if you wait longer, if your dermatologist is worried about bleeding or, you know, for some reason they want to let the lidocaine with epinephrine kick in a little bit more in terms of that anesthetic and more so that epinephrine-like effect in terms of controlling bleeding. When you have someone sit with that medication, I like to call it cook with the medication for a while, that makes it easier for the dermatologist. It makes it easier for me because the bleeding tends to be less and the anesthetic has had some time to work more. You shouldn't feel it regardless if if you have the biopsy immediately after the lidocaine with epinephrine or if the dermatologist waits, you know, until the the medication kicks in. Um, It should be a painless process once the anesthetic is injected. Now, some people need a little bit more anesthesia than others, and I always joke with my redheads because they tend to need a little bit more local anesthetic, and they just metabolize anesthetic a little bit um, differently. In fact, they some redheads actually need more general anesthetic when they go into surgery. So I always keep that in mind. And it's a good idea to talk with your dermatologist if you've ever had problems with numbing to just kind of let them know, hey, I may need to sit a little bit longer or I may need more uh, local anesthetic. And I'm always appreciative when someone brings that up. It just allows me to treat somebody a little bit better. So now once the medication is in, then the biopsy takes place. And we can go over different types of biopsies. So the shave biopsy is the workhorse of the dermatologist. And that involves basically shimming off part of the skin with a blade. Uh, Tends to be kind of a flexible blade or someone may use a little bit of a more rigid blade. But a little shave of the skin is sent off to be red. And this leaves the skin open. There's no stitches, there's no sutures, and the skin heals by what we call secondary intention. The little cells of the top layer of your skin, the epidermis, kind of crawl over and close up the skin over time, but no sutures are involved. So the second type of biopsy we're going to talk about is the punch biopsy, and it really doesn't involve punching your skin, but it does involve using a cookie cutter-like device or tool. This tool is long like a pen, and at the end is a cookie cutter piece, a metal piece that varies in size, and the dermatologist selects the size based on the information that they need and maybe the location of the biopsy. 
The skin, again, is anesthetized just like a shave biopsy, so you're going to have some of that burning sensation. Once the skin is numbed up, this tool is used. It's placed on the area where a biopsy is wanted, and it's pushed into the skin, similar to making cookies. You shouldn't feel any pain, but you may feel some pressure when that's being done. So when the tool is being pressed down, that may generate some pressure types of feeling, but again, no pain, or you shouldn't feel pain. Little scissors are used to kind of snip out the core or the plug, and that's sent to the dermatopathologist for review. Now that the skin's out and you have this kind of circular hole, some dermatologists will put sutures or stitches in to close it, and some won't. And that may vary on the dermatologist and may vary on the location of the punch biopsy. Some areas may not require stitches or sutures to get a good cosmetic result or an equivalent cosmetic result is using stitches. So it really just depends on your your dermatologist and and also your preference. If you don't want stitches or sutures, you should discuss that with your dermatologist. But absorbable sutures could be used, and that means you don't have to come back to get them taken out, or non-absorbable sutures could be used, and that means you would have to come back to have them taken out. So punch biopsies are used over shape biopsies mostly for rashes or inflammatory skin conditions, although this does depend on what's being biopsied and the preference of the dermatologist. But when we need to see the cell types that are involved in skin inflammation or rash, punch biopsy usually is the way to go. Now, some dermatologists still use a shade biopsy for rashes and inflammatory skin conditions, and it really just depends on what's being biopsied and that individual skin lesion if the dermatologist thinks they can get enough information from a shave biopsy. So we talked about shave biopsies and punch biopsies. The last two types of biopsies we're going to talk about today are incisional biopsies and excisional biopsies. These tend to be larger biopsies. They're done less frequently than shave and punch biopsies, but they're necessary sometimes to get more information. Sutures or stitches are always usually required. For an incisional biopsy, we're taking a piece of a larger skin lesion, and for excisional, we're taking the whole thing off. It's going to the dermatopathologist as one piece. And that really depends on what we're looking at. Um, depends on if we're going to do incisional or excisional, and it depends on what information you need, and it also depends if you're able to do an excisional. Maybe for a very large lesion, you're not going to be able to take the whole thing off, so incisional may be better. Sometimes we use incisional biopsies to look deeper, so there are certain skin conditions that affect the subcutaneous fat, which are um, which is located underneath the epidermis and the dermis. And with a shave biopsy and a punch biopsy, you may not be able to see deep, deep, deep where we need to see if there's pathology. So incisional and excisional biopsies are, are great for looking at certain types of skin conditions or if you have the dermatologist has certain concerns, but they're not necessary for everyone. And again, they're done less frequently than shave and punch biopsies. So what happens now? You've had your biopsy and we need to put a bandage on. Most dermatologists advocate for petrolatum or Vaseline, not antibiotic ointment. It's not necessary for most patients. Most patients will leave the dermatologist's office with a Band-Aid. Certain patients may leave with a pressure dressing if there's a concern for bleeding. Maybe it's in a certain location or the patient is on blood thinners, but often it's just petrolatum, Vaseline, and a Band-Aid. For larger biopsies, the incisional and excisional biopsies, you're going to see more of that pressure dressing. And for simple shaves and punch biopsies, as long as there's not a bleeding concern, a Band-Aid is usually used. 
So now that you've had the skin biopsy and your skin is off of you and in the bottle, where does that bottle go? Well, that bottle is transferred to the dermatopathologist's office, unless the dermatologist has a lab in their office, but it goes there and it gets processed. It gets stained and put on slides so that the dermatopathologist can read it. And depending on what they see, they may need more stains or they may require um, more processing of the tissue. But for the most part, you know, they read the slides and they give a report back to the dermatologist. Now, the dermatologist takes that information and they apply it to the clinical picture, what's going on with your skin, and they make a diagnosis or, or see if the diagnosis that was suggested by the dermatopathologist matches you. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's clear cut, it's a skin cancer, and that's what needs to be treated. And sometimes it's a description of a rash and the dermatologist has to work very closely with the dermatopathologist to put the clinical picture and the histological, what they see under the microscope together to get a diagnosis. Sometimes we don't get a clear diagnosis from skin biopsies, but we do rule out things that may be more serious or it may give us more information on how to treat a skin condition. So just because you get a skin biopsy doesn't always mean there's gonna be a clear-cut diagnosis. It does take a team effort between your dermatologist and the dermatopathologist. So who is this dermatopathologist? Are they a doctor? That's a good question. They are a doctor. They go to medical school and they do residency or training in pathology or dermatology, and then they do additional training in skin histology, which is looking under the microscope. So they're really good at looking at skin. They're specialized in skin histology. So that's our skin stuff podcast for today. We talked about skin biopsies. I hope you learned a little bit more about skin biopsies or you're more comfortable or better prepared to talk to your dermatologist about skin biopsies. This is a listener-driven podcast, so please remember, if you have any ideas, suggestions, or questions, please reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Kendall Egan, MD, and let me know what you're thinking, and I'll try to include those ideas, suggestions, and questions into future episodes. Thank you for listening, and I hope you listen to the next podcast.